Welcome to the Crown of My Cheesecake podcast. I am Danielle, your host, and this is episode nine of the Silent Ultrasound series of season two. Make sure you have listened to um, episodes one through eight before you begin. Healing through community. That needing help isn't a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. And together we'll be inspired to push ourselves harder and achieve things we never thought possible. A quote on an Anytime Fitness wall. I was on the treadmill one morning thinking and asking God to go ahead of me. I happened to look over and saw that quote that I just read. It caught my eye. Before the description, it says in large letters, we believe we are stronger together. This is the premise of what healing through community is. We become stronger individuals and when we are strong, we become a mighty force to be reckoned with. Let me begin with this premise. Miscarriage is prime time for the enemy and that the enemy can use to complete our demise. Think about it. We're completely ripped of our status, ripped of our hope of this new life in our wombs, and our emotions are a wreck. We have a target on our backs and absolutely no camouflage to cover it up. I'd almost wager that the target is a flashing neon saying, sign saying, come and get me, I'm easy. The way the enemy w- could attack could be in a myriad of ways, but I guarantee he won't just stop after getting you on one of your problem areas. For me, it started with eating. Eating is my addiction. It's a battle. It's a battle I've waged all my life. God worked on me almost four years ago to help me see the sin in my overeating. Logically, the enemy's first line of attack for me post-miscarriage was food, and I started to believe the lies. It's okay, you can just have this piece of cake. You won't gain that weight back. You can control your food the rest of the day. Just eat this now. Needless to say, I gained seven pounds that I could not shed at that time after that miscarriage. I played the gym game of running or working out extra to get those pounds to budge, and it didn't work. I held on to those seven pounds throughout the whole, I believe it was the whole um, time when I was trying to conceive our third child, our um, fifth pregnancy. Um, And the battle with food control and the lies, I chose to believe them. I chose to believe those lies. The lies led me to the demise of my my diet and my wellness. And normally I have really good self-esteem and confidence, not like, and it's not an egotistical thing. I am just very fortunate that I was raised um, with a father who taught me to have, you know, to believe in myself and to have confidence in myself. And somewhere along the way of gaining those specific seven pounds at that time, I began comparing myself to others and their weight loss. I started to feel bad about myself as if I wasn't capable any longer. And the problem wasn't that other people or even my weight gain. It was that the enemy had just set forth a domino effect. Like that's all he's got to do is just start the domino and he just has to do one little push and that's it. It just kind of continues to go. Even though I knew who I was and who I was in Christ and was confident during this miscarriage situation that I was going through, I forgot that the enemy was always on the prowl and ready to attack me, miscarriage or not. I'd let my guard down. I say all this to let you know that the enemy attacks happen and there isn't much we can do to stop it. We can continue to pray through it and wait for God to move, provide answers, but temptations will always be there. But it's how we approach them, those temptations, that make all the difference. You know, my first miscarriage, my approach was completely wrong. I was my second year of teaching. Those of you who may be teachers or no teachers may understand the amount of stress and the lifestyle of a second year teacher. It was completely unhealthy. I mean, I was completely unhealthy as well and always on the go. I was grading papers, lesson planning, meetings, 
I chose to not allow the first miscarriage to affect my life. I really tried to be strong on my own and I didn't let people know um, of that miscarriage much even. I know I mentioned it before, but what's transpired afterward was awful. So that first miscarriage, I miscarried in September of 2008 and I was disappointed. I didn't understand why this would happen to me. I've got, done nearly everything by the book, got married, was married for three years at that point, graduated college with honors, had a great career started. Isn't that how life is supposed to just roll? I just assumed I'd get pregnant right away and that didn't happen. In fact, the OB I had at the time didn't handle my miscarriage properly. I never bled with that miscarriage. It was just spotting for like two days and it didn't even fill a panty liner. I didn't have a period in October and called the doctor's office. The response, just wait until next month. November rolls around and still no period. So I called that OB office again. Their response this time, call us if you haven't had a period in the next month. Something completely felt wrong about their lack of concern or care. I called my family doctor and he immediately had me come in. He took down some vitals and ran some blood work and gave me medicine called Provera to make my period start. This was the period from Hades. It was very heavy as expected and was pretty crampy, but not debilitating. After that period, I had a yearning in my soul. and I knew it was God. I cried out to God three months after my miscarriage because I was alone. I had no one, no one I'd call friend. Remember, this is my first miscarriage. I'm not talking about miscarriage number two. I'd moved and started a new life in Indianapolis, two and a half hours from my hometown and everything I knew. I had no idea how much I was missing. When you know what, God came through for me and he answered in an obvious big red truck method, as I like to call it. It was a Monday evening and I was at our local Bible study for women and I, I was a terrible leader that evening and there were three women at my table, but I noticed three other ladies sitting alone at a neighboring table. So I invited them to join. And if you know me, I'm not, I do not like leading tables. I don't like that. <laughs> it's just not my thing. So it was clearly out of character for me to invite even more people to join us at the table. So I'm convinced that God did this because I was that, like at this time, I was not gifted <laughs> at loving and being around other women. I tended to prefer the company of my husband and his friends because there wasn't any pressure that comes along with women. And if you're a woman, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At the end of the lesson, one of the girls, Kim, spoke up and said, will you be our friend? And I said, uh, what? And she says it again. Will you be our friend? We meet Monday evenings for dinner at a restaurant and just keep each other accountable. So she gave me her business card and I and I wrote the date and time to meet them and no clue what was going to come of it or if I'd even go. So later in the week, one of the girls texts me or maybe it was a group text as a reminder of the meeting. And so I chose to go. What did I have to lose? I guess, right? Would you know it? God met me before and organized these ladies on just the right night for a divine meeting between us. One girl had two children at the time and mentioned to me that she lost her baby. The second girl had one child and had lost a baby the same time I lost my first. The third, this one went through menopause at 17 and three rounds of in vitro fertilization with surrogate eggs before conceiving her daughter. God answered my cries for relationships and friendships that would go the distance. And... I still have goosebumps as I think about this because if I hadn't been broken to in desperation for God to move, I know I would not have recognized friendship like I did that evening. 
The foundation of the group of friends began to change my perspective on how I looked at doing life in community with others. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? During the most recent miscarriage, I knew I had the friendships, but of course God took me further still. He began a lesson about transparency, living the life I say I believe, actually being the light to someone's darkness. This life is not about me. And friend, please don't tell me you haven't been there because don't we all seem to think life revolves around us, at least at some point. It's our nature. And and boy, it, it makes me feel really dumb that it falls on me fresh every single time that this life is not about me. For example, during Easter service, our pastor used an image of a toddler's behavior of the mine stage. And little one's first words are usually mama, dada, and then the third word is usually mine. They don't say yours, yours, yours. We need to outgrow this, the mine, mine, mine. As a people of Jesus say, ours, our journey, your struggle is mine. Let me help you through this lesson or this season. Doesn't that lay fresh on your soul that we were literally born sinfully saying mine, mine, mine from the get go. Seriously, though, we hear life isn't about us. And sometimes we even say it well, meaningly, is that a word that this life is not about us or about me. But sure to not go through the same loneliness I did as the first miscarriage, God decided to do the big red truck method with me again and refine my spirit. He's given me an opportunity to live life not being about me instead of just believing it. I've seen what my obedience has done as a witness to many other women. What an awesome, huge, amazing, scary responsibility. I learned people really are watching me live out this destiny that I so very much believe in. I learned that even in my failures and in my circumstances, I can lean on God's understanding and not my own. Humility, transparency, all so frightening to me. And here's why. I grew up in a small town where everyone knew my business. To get the full picture of a small town life, I must tell you that the town is smaller. Like I said in one of the other episodes, that it's smaller than the membership at my church. There's just over 4,000 inhabitants in my hometown. And and add on to that, my dad was a deputy sheriff for over 40 years there. And when he retired, they create a position that allows him to serve warrants. And then my dad, a badge and a gun, and a badge and a gun belt are synonymous. And everything from looking appropriate to behaving a certain way and achieving were expected. We were to live up to what our name represented. It was bred into my brother and I growing up, and it's actually who I am today. May I also mention that my mom is one of the very few beauticians in town. And so when I say everyone knew my business, I, I really mean that I was living in a fishbowl and everyone really did know my business. I fled to Indianapolis for college and it was amazing. No one knew anything about me and I loved it this way. I actually enjoy that I can go for days or I could go for days without seeing a single person that I saw the day before. I still try to live in a place where people don't know my business. God prepared me to overcome this though by using the time I did hide to grow in him and I'm pretty sure that that time is over. In fact, I know the time is over, actually, that hiding behind my circumstances, my physical location, the four walls is over. God has refined me to be transparent and teach women in my life how to find reformation and refinement in him. For the first time in my life, I actually gave in to people knowing about my situation of this miscarriage. God made it very 
clear that transparency is more than people knowing my business. Sure, there are always going to be nosy ones, but transparency is not about that. It's about finding support and healing through community. And we take that a step further to when God urged urged me to do the scariest thing of all. I texted my local mops, mothers of preschoolers, or co-coordinator and told her what was happening with this pregnancy, this last pregnancy. And in fact, my text um, message is as follows. Can you send a text out to leadership to pray over my appointments today? I'm currently nine weeks, four days pregnant. And the last week, the baby's heart rate dropped so far that they prepared me for miscarriage in DNC. Said I should have miscarried this past weekend, but I haven't yet. I confirmed with an ultrasound today at 1.30 to see my doctor at 1.45. I'm not comfortable sharing this, but I know I need to have as many people praying for me for God's will to be done, that he refines me through the process regardless of his, his will. I want nothing that isn't of him, and I'm desperate for him. I don't know what I was expecting in response from sending out that text message about my last miscarriage. I think I was expecting God to provide comfort, which he did. I know I wasn't expecting the mass responses via text or Facebook messenger, God poured out love to me. Every single message, whether the woman herself had gone through it or not, was spot on what I needed to hear that night before my surgery. It built me up enough to remind me after everything I went through that day of the pronouncement of the death of my baby, my marriage issues that would have, that could have gone terribly wrong. It was all worth it. And it was his will. God really loves the intimate details of me, of you, including the wacky wirings of our different brains. The message, This message that I'm about to read to you was sent to me before I went to bed the night before my surgery. Hey, Danielle, my heart and prayers are with you tonight. I'm so sorry for your loss, but as you said, God has a perfect plan for you in place. Though Satan tries hard to break us in our walk with God, Jesus always prevails. I know it has been hard for you to share something so private, but I'm so blessed that you heeded God, Jesus's nudge. This is just what we are here for, to lift each other up and to refine each other as sisters in Christ. I just wanted you to know that your walk and growth with the Lord this past year alone has been a true testimony and encouragement to many that have been part of your life in the slightest way. Thank you. You are lifted up, my friend. As you mourn, cry, and feel defeated, Know that this is when Jesus is right next to you, holding you tight. Another message. It's been a true blessing to see how God has been using you to further his kingdom. You have really inspired me, and I know you would never know if I never said. So think of the countless others that just see your example and want to have what you have. Half of our ladies at Mops are non-believers and non-churchgoers. Even though you're hurting and pain, I know this past year has been a preparation for something like this. Never there, never is there anything to prepare us for our baby's loss, but only God can give us the, the strength. And I know in your weakness, Jesus's strength will shine through. I love you, sister. I'm praying for Jesus's supernatural peace and rest to consume you tonight and, to, and tomorrow's procedure. You know, I proclaimed I wanted to live the life I say I believe. And guess what? If this wasn't God telling me I'd begun this, then I don't know what is. I'm not tooting my own horn because he knows I've got a long way to go. But at least someone noticed the changes and verbalizing or texting that they saw Jesus in me. 
awe-striking. What an honor that God would choose me. I don't want to get over that. You may ask yourself, well, you've got this figured out now. How am I supposed to do this? Or my situation and relationship with Jesus is completely different. My friend, I understand this too. It seemed like I could see Jesus and everyone else around me but me. And I yearn for that. For so long, I prayed, and I still do, that God would set me apart so much that people would see me differently, that they, that when they looked at me, that they would see Jesus and not me. It's not until we actually begin to live what we say we believe that the changes will happen. And I think for me, I struggle with feeling feminine. Like, I don't feel feminine enough because I'm not a soft, like a soft woman. I'm not a soft um, Christian woman. I'm not gentle in spirit. I'm not like, I'm not what what I envision a woman to be. But the fact that people felt that about me or saw that about me changed how I, how I believed in myself. And what I do know is that the importance of community coming around us to build us up and keep us strong, I am grateful for the women in my life that did just that. In Ephesians, the book that is outlined, it basically it's an outline of how we should live what we say we believe. There's a verse in there regarding doing things in community, except it's worded more like going into war. Those of us who are saved and even those unsaved are waging war daily and oftentimes moment by moment on the spiritual spiritual realm. Darkness is always trying to cover up the light and cover up the light that Jesus has given us through hope and salvation. And I'm not sure about you, but the idea of war kind of excite me, excites me because I'm pretty competitive. I want to win everything I do. However, war always has casualties, doesn't it? And I also don't know about you, but I'm determined to not be a casualty. I will win because Jesus has already come and conquered. Let's take a look if you want to follow along in your Bible or you just want to listen to me read about Ephesians 6, 10 through 16. Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that, excuse me, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We are given the imagery of a soldier getting ready to prepare to do war. Being an Air Force wife, retired Air Force wife, or whose husband works on an army base. He worked on an army base um, when he was active duty for the last, I think it was 17 years. Um, I see that image vividly, this this um, getting prepared for war. It's a scary sight to realize that these men have to wear this crazy gear. But then again, it gives, some pro- gives them protection and power against our um, physical enemy. But as Paul says, our enemy isn't that of flesh and blood like our military face, but it is against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil. So it's outside of our realm. While we also need to put on our protective gear, our, ours looks a bit differently than our military. We're also given exactly what our battle, battle gear should look like. The belt of truth buckled around our waist. 
Those of you around Christian circles may have seen the word truth here and be quick to think of like truth in God's word as in the Bible. While this is important, I believe Paul is referencing the the truth as in the truth. How is that for explanation? It appears that Paul really means, though, that we need to be sincere, put away lying, speak truth in love, and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And that's according to Alan Turner. When, what that means is that we need to own up to what we say we believe in, put into action our faith and trust in Jesus and accept what's happening to us. The locals to whom Paul is writing would recognize this belt as being referenced here by Paul because they were used to seeing Roman military walking around. And this belt is like a thick, it, it was thick and it was um, a place where soldiers could put their dagger on the belt. Even um, it even held the breastplate in place. So the belt is important for the rest of the uniform because without it the rest of the uniform wouldn't be held in place to protect the soldier so think about that spiritually if we don't live out what we say we believe the rest of our battle with the enemy is going to crumble and not be held tight like because all of our equipment is not going to be held tight number the second piece of equipment is the breastplate of righteousness and it's an image that lets us see the importance of righteousness righteousness means do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been fought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. The breastplate covers all the vital organs in the body. Basically, it's the life protector. It's a complete defense um, protection, a defensive protection. In the defense against the enemy, we must clothe ourselves in righteousness, meaning stay away from sin and wickedness, offer ourselves to God instead. We allow the Holy Spirit to bring upon us peace and joy in the midst of the battle. The third piece of equipment is our feet fitted with readiness from the gospel. All about the shoes, all about the shoes. We know the shoe can make or break an outfit, right? So can our shoes and the battle we wage. The Roman soldier's shoe has had thick soles and had hobnails fitted in the form of the souls for traction. They're, um, they were able to march to places quicker than their enemies and then the enemies had thought and they were caught like they were able to catch them off guard because it was like, like they got there faster. We also need traction in our spiritual warfare. Our traction is having the foundation to see hope in all things. That is in 1 Peter 3:15. The footwear also allows for us to not feel anxious and that comforting but weird peace that we may feel during tragedy such as miscarriage. Think about Philippians 4, 6 through 7. The fourth piece of equipment is the shield of faith. This is something we I've learned from multiple Bible studies. I've learned about, I think in preparation for the second miscarriage, honestly, I was able to put, put it to use. Each Roman soldier had a shield and the shields were huge. And I picture them to be the size of a door. So think about a door. Each soldier had his shield that was along with the other pieces of his uniform. And the coolest part of the shield is that in order to use it correctly and to have the best defense, it was to be interlocked into the sides of the shields of the soldiers on either side of him. So instead of just being one soldier with areas vulnerable, except in the front, the soldiers were helping one another in battle, like literally creating a line. How is that different than what we are doing? We're waging a battle right now too. Most especially if you're having a mis- if you're dealing with miscarriage or whatever it may be in your life. This is where it comes in that we need healing through community. We have to lock our shields with other women or men around us to help keep us going in the right direction. 
winning the battle against darkness. Something I want you to, to notice, though, is that the shields mentioned last in this in this specific scripture. I didn't go into all of the um, battle wear, but I went into these on purpose or these specific ones. Um, something I want you to notice, though, is that the shield is mentioned last. We must first have a grounding of living the life of truth when we are to live we are then to live and accept a life of righteousness. Third, we have a faith in Jesus and that he is our hope that there is still joy that can come in this time. And we don't reach out to our sisters until we are right with God. Ladies, gentlemen, we need to do this life in communion with others. We cannot take up our battles of this magnitude on our own. Just like our infancy, we cannot fight and surge. We cannot take up the battles of this magnitude on our own. And just like our infantry, um, our infantry people in the military, they cannot fight insurgents alone. They need intelligence. They need close air support. They also, um, they need strategic decisions in an instant. Um, and just like the branch of the military work together, so should we. This battle is real. It's time to approach the battle for what it is. War. this episode, you can support the show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash CIMC.